At the center of the augmented reality industry lies one company. It's Gravity Jack. And they've been the secret pioneer in the augmented reality and virtual reality space since the early 2000s. Gravity Jack has worked with a plethora of Fortune 500 companies to create the augmented reality experiences you've seen and used today. And after a long wait, they've finally begun their first ever public stock offering. Gravity Jack invites you to join them. They'll continue to be at the center. Find them on startengine.com. Thanks, Neil. Thanks. You could have cut away. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Cross Baltic. It's, it's gold, your mic. goats, and guns. I'm more, I'm more interested in the goats. Right. <laughs> I'm mostly interested in the goats. Uh, I want to know about the goats. <laughs> Welcome to Cross Baltic on the Fight Laugh Feast Network. Pastor Toby Chuck Knox. I'm the water boy. And we were like four days away from our conference. Why? Yes. You know? I want to know how the goats got the gold and the guns to begin with. I mean, that's the, that's the question. That's the issue. That's why we call it the goat. Yeah, oh, okay. And when you say ghosts, it's the greatest of all time. Is that what we're talking about? Then yeah, I can understand. We're, we're find Not out. so long ago, the American dream was alive and well. Employees who worked hard were rewarded, and employers looked for people who could do the job, not for people who had the right political views. Redballoon.work is a job site designed to get us back to what made American businesses successful. Free speech, hard work, and having fun. If you're a free speech employer who wants to hire employees who focus on their work and not identity politics, then post a job on redballoon.work. If you're an employee who's being censored at work or is being forced to comply with the current zeitgeist, post your resume on redballoon.work and look for a new job today. Redballoon.work, the job site where free speech is still alive. Redballoon.work. Tom Luongo is a former research chemist amateur dairy goat farmer, anarcho-libertarian, and obstreperous Austrian economist whose work can be found on sites like Zero Hedge, LewRockwell.com, Bitcoin Magazine, and Newsmax Media. He has a podcast and newsletter, Gold, Goats, and Guns, where he attempts to connect the false narratives of geopolitics to viable long-term investment theses. Tom, thanks for joining us on CrossPolitik. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity and the invite. Absolutely. So, so Tom I, on his Twitter yeah. bio says he's he lives in your head rent free. That's where he's coming from. <laughs> oh, that's his bio. Or <laughs> <laughs> oh, North location. Florida, you're, as, or however you want to put it. Florida. Right? Okay. okay. Same, okay. Same, location the same your thing if you're, you're on left. <laughs> or Florida. So yeah. I have to admit, I I haven't yet caught uh, one of your episodes uh, uh, of the um, of the podcast, um, Gold mm-hmm. Goats and Guns. So do goats make it under your podcast regularly? <laughs> no, not at all. We uh, mostly talk. We mostly talk geopolitics and monetary policy. And lately, it's been a lot of stuff about the bond market and uh, uh, wherever else, as far as I'm concerned, the story needs to be I, leads me. It's where I need to go. That's what I do. Got it. Um, so, so um, I, I actually want to talk to you about the Federal Reserve. I, I, we, um, our, yeah. our mutual friend, uh, Jim Hunter, was the one that um, connected mm-hmm. us with, with you. And so um, Federal Reserve, uh, good, bad, ugly, friend, foe. What should we think of the Federal Reserve? Um, you should not think of it as a monolithic entity other than to say that it is a, an entity like every other that is in, that is worried more about its own survival than anything else. Like, you know, that whole, during the intro, you said anarcho-libertarian, that reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which is from the great Butler Schaefer, who said, I distrust any organization larger than a two-handed game of poker. (laughs) And when you think about that, Really, what you're saying is, is that the first rule of any organization is survival. Like you don't 
you know, you can have the mission statement that you put out into the world. Oh, we are going to you know, save the world from climate change or whatever it is, and, you know, or from pygmies or whatever it is. Right. Yeah. But the reality is, is that what they're not telling you is that the first thing they have to do is figure out how to survive. And so the question that I have that I had to ask myself, and I'm no fed lover, I'm a, again, narco libertarian. I'm, I'm right there with most people who would say, yes, we need to end the fed. The problem is it's not a period after that statement. It's a comma, which says, or actually it's a question mark. Should we end the fed now as opposed to at some point in the future? Mm -hmm. There's an order of operations that has to happen for us to get from the maximal amount of corruption that we have today, mostly engendered by the fed up until very recently um, to where we are, you know, to where we would like to go. Right. And we'd like to go back to, sound money, a rational economy, you know, not underwriting insanity yeah. uh, as a, you know, kind of a national political ethos, you know, that, that kind of thing. Yeah. But in order to get from here to there, we've got to realize that the big dog in the room is the Fed. The Fed controls the most, the issuance of the mo world's most powerful currency, the U.S. dollar. It's its primary product. We have to go back to first principles about what the Fed was formed to do. And I don't need to go into, you know, any, any, you know, history about undermining American sovereignty through, you know, British foreign policy and uh, adoption of the banking system or anything like that. Let's just keep it simple. The Fed was designed in order to backstop the U.S. banking system. That's what it was designed to okay. do. That's who its primary shareholders are, right? That's who it actually, at the end of the day, you know, uh, reports to. Okay. Right. So because of that, the now you're going to ask yourself the question, when you're looking at a World Economic Forum, when you're looking at a European Union, when you're looking at a UN, a WHO, all these international organizations that are pushing the world towards digital money and the end of the dollar, you got to ask yourself, well, why would the Fed go along with that? Where's the Gibbs for the Fed? Where's the qui bono for the Fed? Or where's the bono in the qui bono analysis? And the answer is none. There, there's no upside for the American commercial banks and the Federal Reserve if we go to a central bank digital currency, potentially a global one, um, and uh, which does away with the two-tiered monetary system where the Fed issues effectively issues the money to the commercial banks. The commercial banks then lend it to us. You cut the commercial banks out, well, then we just have the central bank and the people, and that's what they want in Europe. And they can get away with that in Europe if they want. They don't have any sovereignty in Europe. They haven't had, they've never had any sovereignty in Europe. And with the European Union in power, they now have an even bigger layer of bureaucracy, like almost Kafkaesque bureaucracy in charge in, in Europe. And this similar situation exists in China. Um, but here in the United States, it's much different, and the structure is different. And so this is why you see an inordinate amount of pressure being applied both politically and in some ways economically on the United States in order to try and collapse all the things that make our financial system, our banking system, our economy, our, on, our de jour uh, political system, not de facto, but de jour political system, superior to pretty much everybody else's on the planet. And if you're an old European colonialist, you know, who believes that they have the, they should rule the world, then getting your colonies back under control is, should be always foremost in your strategic thinking. 
And that means getting rid of the Fed or at least neutering the Fed. So, so Tom, and neutering the American government. And that's where we are today. So, so Tom, mm. um, uh, was it Jim who, who talked with us about this? Jim where, Hunter, yeah. where he, mm-hmm. he was arguing that uh, I think a little bit of what you're arguing is that the Fed mm-hmm. is actually, in some sense, right now, our friend, where mm-hmm. it, the Fed is kind of standing up against the WHO, the, not WHO, uh, the World Economic Forum, yeah, and kind sure. of globalization of currency yes. and so forth. Is, yes. that, is that, that yes. your take? Yeah, that's fair. Jim is a patron of mine, he's, and he's become a good friend over the years. And you know, he when he when he you know, put us together, you know, he said I was just on the show, and I you know you know brought your name up, and I did my best to kind of explain this is Jim talking explain your argument yeah. to them yeah. as a as, as a as a first order approximation what i would say is the following i wouldn't call the friend the fed a friend yeah. i would call them a temporary ally mm. are you know there are no there are no friends in geopolitics there are only there are only interests and our interests and the feds at this moment in time coincide our interests and the new york Mega banks, the JP Morgans, the Citigroups, the, the the Goldman Sachs, not BOA, not you know, Bank of America, not a couple, not some of them. Some of them are clearly in the camp of, you know, these European globalists, for lack of a better term. I would say I would put Bank of America, I put Bank of New York Mellon, and a few others uh, in that category. But it's very clear that centered around Goldman, Morgan, uh, Morgan Stanley, and probably Citigroup. Though Citigroup's leverage really has me worried, um, they're like, no, no, we're not, we're not going to sell America out, and we're not going to sell out our golden cash cow um, to a bunch of European commies wearing Klingon outfits. Mm. I just, we're not going to do it. And I, 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 you know, every time I watch Jamie Dimon, the CEO of J.P. Morgan, speak, I'm just more and more convinced of it every day. And that's where I think we are. And now, are we going to have to deal with them later? Are we going to have to reform the Fed even further after they, you know, potentially win this fight in the near term? Absolutely. So, but what the Fed is doing right now, just the, the one more point, and I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll hand the mic back. What the Fed is doing now is forcing the exact thing I predicted would happen if I was correct in saying that the Fed was trying to do what I say it's trying to do. Two years ago, I said this. Well, then eventually we would see a fight on Capitol Hill over fiscal reform. And it's gotten to the point now where Matt Gates is about ready to take down Speaker Kevin McCarthy and by exposing the unit party at a, fun, at a functional level. And that's where we are. Yeah. And I almost never ex- believed it would happen. But, you know, I can't really complain with the, with, with the result. Yeah. Right. What, so. Uh, so you answered a little bit of my question that I was going to ask was, <laughs> You know, like the common dude working an eight to five job, um, you know, how does this, what does this mean to him? This Fed mm. fight, this globalization, uh, you know, going to electronic currency, you know, what is this? All why, this why, politics, does the, why does a factory worker yeah, care? Like, or why, why does he care? What does why he, he need care? to know, too? Yeah. yeah. He needs to know that, that the fight that he thinks he's watching politically is actually all downstream of this fight, right? The attempt to destroy the United States and destroy his job and to teach his, teach his kids in public school that, you know, trannies are cool and, you know, and it's okay. And, and, and all of the rest of it, all that stuff that we all can't 
unbelievable. Can't believe they're even trying to push on our children. But that's all downstream of this. This is all that the that the war on the United States is multifactorial. It's cultural. It's fiscal. It's all of these things. And if you lose me for a second, I'm on Starlink. So, um, so do we? Did you get any of that? Uh, yeah, go, yeah. Go back and repeat. We, we you said culture. Sure. It's cultural. The worst cultural, and then what else? So it's economic. It's financial. It's political. It's legal. It's all of those things mm. at the same time. Okay, and so when you see it, you know we see bits and pieces of it, right? But when you understand what the actual fight is, then you're like, oh, well, then it's everywhere. It's all in front of you, and it's really it's be really easy to see. And this is the kind of thing that I've convinced people like Jim and others. In you know, oh, this is why I have a, a successful Patreon, right? Is I've been able to identify the way in which this war is being fought and why it's important to the to the average person. And I'm honestly, I'm, I'm nothing special here, guys, right? I mean, I'm as middle class and and you know, up until very recently, very lo lower middle class, like, and you know, just as much a victim of bad monetary and fiscal policy as everybody else. What's important to them and to all of us is that if the Fed wins this fight, then this whole war collapses mm. and it collapses quickly. And it means that our, we have an opportunity to rebuild what's been broken. And if we lose this fight, then the United States is going to break up. It's going to be messy and ugly. It's going to be bad for the world. It's going to be good for oligarchs. They think it's going to be bad for everybody else. And it's going to be bad in a way that, you know, many of us don't really want to contemplate. What do you mean lose and this so, fight? Uh, Define this. Well, I, I guess, go ahead. And that means that the Fed, that the Fed does not, is not forced to um, um, submit back to foreign powers for setting monetary policy. For all of our lives, up until about two years ago, the Fed has been a captured pawn on the game board, captured by globalists to create an ever depreciating dollar with ever lower interest rates. What Jerome Powell was trying to do by raising interest rates as far and as fast, as hard as he has, is to say, look, zero bound interest rates are bad for everybody, except for the people who get to borrow the money directly from the central banks. Okay? Everybody, and yeah. even then, it's, it's bad for everybody. There's no good, it does, and yeah, you might get a car loan at, at 2%, but you're paying 35% more for the car. So are you really saving any money? No. Okay. The, that fight ha translates into the, into the leveraging up of the dollar to become a global currency that the Fed has no real control over the value of. Okay. Once the Fed pulls back on interest rates and raises interest rates and pulls back on credit and does so in a way that is sustained, it means that everybody else who's now short dollars in the world means they need dollars and because they borrowed money in dollars. Now they're short dollars um, in financial terms. That means that, you know, their leverage is th their whole like portfolio, asset portfolios are collapse. And this is a good thing because what we have is have, what we did under Bernanke and Yellen was to blow this enormous dollar bubble, which was then used to undermine the very country that, issued the currency in the first place this can, is interesting can, can you can you connect these dots because i mean I'm, I'm hearing you but like connect for me that globalism 
um, them um, taking the dollar. Uh, I, I'm here that part. And then you said right. this is connected to the guy on the street because of what, um, you know, them trying to make tranny stuff cool in, in well, government schools. Well, that's, how, that's how George Soros buys DAs that, that don't prosecute felons. Okay. Okay. How do you think he does that? He does that by taking money, by taking dollars from, from the government at 0%. They go through his NGO. He goes out. He levers it. He puts it into a foreign bank. He levers it up 10 or 20 times, makes money off of that, takes that 10 or 20, that, that money he's levered up on, brings it back on shore, puts it in, a, in, a, in an oligarch bank in, in, in San Francisco, say, I don't know, Silvergate? <laughs> yeah, pick one of the First Republic. Pick one of those oligarch banks that are that are lever that are loaning out money at one percent for fifty years to these people, which they then use to fund political operations, NGOs around the world, the fentanyl trade, this, that, all of it. It's all fundamentally financed through the levering up of zero bound money because there's no opportunity cost when money is free. The interest rates are an opportunity cost. They. They, 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 they're a time function to say, look, you better make some money on this within a year or you're going to lose 5% on your money. Like, you got to do something with this. You got to make seven with it or six with it. You got to make at least, you know, your VIG on. You got to make at least your coupon payment on, right? And so the, the Fed doing what they've done, let me put it to you this way, guys. If I were the Federal Reserve Chairman, if I were Jerome Powell, I would have done exactly what he did as an Austro-Libertarian. I would have done this along with what he did, which was to remove our debt indexing rate from from British and from City of London control, which is what he's done. He's done the two things that were necessary in order for the United States to finally declare financial independence from old colonial Europe. And so and once you've done once you've done that, then it's just a matter of allowing the, the economy to reorganize itself and let the political fallout of people attempting to, um, you know, hold, to continue to spend more than we make in order to hollow out our fiscal position, which then makes us vulnerable to, you know, to political shocks. The more that the Fed is forced to monetize Congress's profligate spending, and Powell's made it abundantly clear he's not doing that. The more the, the, more the Fed does that, the, the less free we are the more you undermine the fundamental structures of the United States itself. Okay. Pastor, you got to add, you have to read, yeah, and then I'm, I have a question. Right, then you can bring your question. All right. Classical Conversations sure. supports homeschooling parents by cultivating the love of learning through a Christian worldview and fellowship with other families. They provide a classical Christ-centered curriculum, local like-minded communities across the United States and in several countries around the world. And they train parents who are striving to be great classical educators in the home. For more information and to get connected, please visit their website at classicalconversations.com. Again, that's classicalconversations.com. Tom, listening to what you're saying, I think I probably grasp maybe 22% of all of that. <laughs> um, and that's yeah. not your fault. That's not your fault. Uh, I'm, I'm getting caught up to speed. I actually want to listen to this uh, multiple times so I can understand it because it's really basic the way you laid it out. And I think it's helpful. But mm-hmm. listening to you, it seems to me that we're probably... I've heard everybody talk about the World Economic Forum for, for since 2012. What's coming? Oh, my goodness, we're doomed. And But listening to you, it sounds like we actually have a really good opportunity in front of us mm-hmm. with the, 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 the institution that we seem to hate the most in America. Yeah. 
isn't that isn't that the the, the, the thing that will melt your brain? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. But you know why? Because the thing about it is, guys, is that the way I described it, and it, it, it was the the light bulb moment for me was a, a really geeky thing. It was the day that Jerome Powell raised the reverse repo payout rate five basis points above the Fed funds rate, five basis points, meaning 0.05 percent, and he drained over two trillion dollars worth of worth of dollar real dollars so in, in global monetary terms be m0 base money from the global monetary system mm. the euro collapsed overnight like all sorts of things happened right it was crazy and i'm like what just happened here mm. and i had to really stop and think about what the what dynamics were set in, in motion by this and what and what i what I, I i you don't have to understand what the reverse repo facility is or anything else you just need to understand the following if these people these globalists Right, were so powerful and so all powerful that then that would have never done a thing. But their whole worldview, their whole like raison d'etre was undone by five basis points. Mm. And more importantly, it's because that's what set in motion. Because think about it this way, guys. This is what I say all the time. You guys have never heard me say this, I'm gonna say it now. Ready? Lies are expensive and the truth sells itself. <laughs> Their whole system is a lie. It's built on bad legislation. It's built on fall, creating legislation that creates a false choice for you and me in the marketplace, right? So they're trying to make us buy EVs by making regular yeah. cars expensive. They're by making gasoline more expensive than it is, by making it impossible for us to buy diesel fuel or, you know, by, by creating all of these strictures that move the, the neutral point of a particular price of the market, yep. a particular thing that they're trying to control away from equilibrium. So that's why gasoline is literally twice what it should be. Okay. You want to, you want to, you want to see gasoline at $2 a gallon, get rid of the RIN system, get rid of cap A standards on cars and all the rest of it. Yep. And you'll watch the price of gasoline collapse and you'll watch you know, and, and no one will care that a Ram 1500 gets 18 miles to the gallon. Yeah, and right. we won't see the, the death of V8s and all the rest of the stuff right. that we need to run our small farms. Right. right. It's all a lie. Climate change is a lie. COVID was not a lie, but everything around COVID was right. a lie. Like there's all of these things. And what they've done is created, they've just bamboozled us with a whole bunch of literal propaganda. And they underwrote all of that with zero bound money for 15 years. Hmm. And you un and all that had to happen was Powell stood up, stood up like the guy in Monty Python: The Life of Brian. You know that. Remember that scene where like, you don't follow me. You're all individuals. Yes, we're all individuals. I'm not. <laughs> right? That's Powell standing there with five basis points, going, "I'm not. Yeah. I'm not in the club. I'm not in the cult." And that's the moment. And I, I and I think that is the best way to, to for people to start wrapping their brains around this philosophically. And qualitatively, and then we can get into the quantitative it's, stuff of it's, how it's manifesting itself in the markets. Is Powell safe? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. Okay. Because he has the most powerful lobby in the United States behind him. Okay. It's not the military industrial complex. It's not the quote unquote deep state. It's the banksters in New York. Because uh, okay. the the real U.S. deep state is really the British deep state. And they, well, I'm trying to keep it clean today. They're pooping bricks right now. Yeah. Because their whole, their whole plan to finally put the, the final nail in the coffin of the U.S. 
was to get us to fight their war for them in Ukraine against Russia and bankrupt us through a war that we that make us fight their war for them in Russia. I just published an article on this on my blog literally this afternoon, the title of which is, you know, Ukraine was always the UK's war first. Mm. And this goes back 300 years. And I've got, you know, and I've talked to on my podcast and I've, you know, talked to with other people and I've written about for years how this is very much, you know, and this is all kind of almost new to me. I've always kind of understood this, but I've now really come to understand that we adopted Britain's foreign policy as their empire was ending post-World War One, or we got Wilson, he got, they got Wilson to, to intervene in World, World War One for them to win. And then they, I can literally take you through, we don't have time for it today, I can literally take you through just bit by bit from a financial perspective, the history of money in post-World War One through to today. And you're like, oh, wow, they really did like get us involved in World War One create World War II, to get us to fight World War II, and now they've turned us into an empire so that they can fight world, we can fight World War III for them, and then when we're done, we'll be a spent force, all their money will flow back over to Europe, and you know, the King of England will still run the world. I'm, 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 I'm dead serious, but I, I tell you that I actually honestly believe that that is the goal of the, British, the old British aristocracy. I'm not even ready for that yet, Tom. Tom, I'm not, Tom <laughs> okay. stop. I'm not yeah, ready. That, that one... That one will get me banned from 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 the world. I see. That's why like, you practice you it here start, first. When huh? you start when, <laughs> when you start touch, touching that, the real third rail of 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 global politics is that the British Empire never ended. Take take me take me. I want to. I really want to get this. What is it? Because mm-hmm. let's say the Fed. What what does the Fed continually need to do right now? And then at what point do we stop cheering them on? Okay. <laughs> well, that's a good question. That's a good question but I, I I would rather not. Um, go there now because it's hard enough to get around the idea, wrap your head around the idea that the Fed is actually doing the right thing. <laughs> Let's just put it this way. That is fact. Fair? Yeah. Fair? Yeah. Okay. Let's just start with the, where they are now. The Fed right now is shrinking its balance sheet and it's got interest rates up to somewhere close to where it probably needs to. I don't know whether they're going to go to six. But I think they're going to go to six. They may even have to go as high as 7%. But it may take them a couple of years to get there, and they may cut. They may do an inter- a mid cycle cut between uh, then and now. Like I, I, you know, that's for a high, that's for a high level finance discussion. What they need to do is just keep money tight. What they need to do is to keep draining and putting the pressure on the offshore dollar markets. And their goal in the short term is to break the European Union. Their the Fed's primary nemesis is the ECB. The European Central Bank. Period. And then the BIS and all those other people. Well, let's just start there. That's what needs to end. Because if the European Central Bank fails and it can go bankrupt, it's not like the Fed, then that allows Europe to break the European Union. We go back to national currencies. Any threat to the Fed's dominance over U.S. monetary policy ends. And then the Fed and China and the, and the Russians and you know, basically the BRICS can then come to an arrangement about how, what the world's going to look like later on. We're going to see a return of regionalization. Globalization is reversing, mm. guys. And the Fed, I think, is, and I think that is what Powell's ultimately doing here. He is managing the dollar and managing the removal of the uh, uh, and the deprecation of the 
the dollar as the global reserve currency, which he's not a big fan of, by the way. He's stated this explicitly in congressional testimony that there's more than there's room in the world for more than one reserve currency. This came from the Fed chairman talking to the Senate at Humphrey Hawkins testimony two years ago. Mm. All right. So you think about his mindset, you think about that and you're like, well, then if he believes that, then how would he implement that? Well, exactly what he's been doing. Okay. And and you're saying, though, that this, this is all driven primarily by just the desire to survive? Yeah. Okay. Self-interest. Well, it started yeah. there. Okay. Once we got to the point where the, where the real story, I mean, I think, honestly, that the Fed and the banksters in New York understood what the problem was and what the threat was, but they were in no position to do anything about it while the globalists under, uh, had control of the presidency. Okay. Mm. And, and, and later, and, and in, in lesser respects, they had control over the Federal Reserve itself with Bernanke and Yellen. When Trump was elected, and the, the biggest win of the Trump administration, and I have a very complicated relationship with Donald Trump. I'm balanced. <laughs> I'm glad he was elected. I'm, for the most part, he did yeoman's work exposing so much of this stuff. But what he allowed to happen, because he's not a particularly curious man, he was handed by Goldman Sachs, by Steve Mnuchin, Jerome Powell's Fed chair. And what they did the thing that they did that started that all they, they, we saw the opportunity, our bank saw the opportunity to get a win by removing LIBOR, the London Interbank offer rate, as the debt indexing rate for all the, all, for all the debt that was written in the United States. So your mortgage, your car payments, your credit cards were all indexed to LIBOR, right? That's why the LIBOR scandal of 2008 was such a big deal because they were manipulating the interest rate that ran the world. Well, guess what? Guess who's on the LIBOR board? Of the 18 banks. Well, 17 of them are in the city of London. And the 18th one is JP Morgan's London office. So one American bank and 17 London banks were setting monetary policy for the United States. Mm. Because when the London banks got in trouble, well, then LIBOR would blow out to the upside. It would rise, you know, yield would rise tremendously. And then guess what would happen to your mortgage? Your adjustable rate mortgage it would go up. It doesn't matter that your bank wasn't in trouble. You know, your bank could have a, a perfectly good you know, balance sheet, good, great Texas ratio, and there's no reason for them to raise raise your adjustable rate mortgage because LIBOR went up, then your adjustable rate mortgage goes up, or your credit revolver for your company gets goes up and or gets canceled, or 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 or, and that would always be forcing the Fed to go back to lower rates and to pivot on any tightening policy before they wanted to. Okay, by removing LIBOR from our banking system and going to the secured overnight funding rate, otherwise known as SOFR. And I've written about this extensively on my blog. You just look up SOFR or LIBOR versus SOFR or whatever, and you'll find hours of material, right? Um, where I try to explain this in grave detail. SOFR is a domestic rate arrived at in our markets. It's a market rate. It's collateralized by repo contracts and all the rest of it. It's at, it, and it's a domestic debt indexing rate based on that is purely based on the health and of the current state of the financial markets and the banking system here in the United States, not in London, not in Frankfurt, not in Hong Kong, not in Singapore or Zurich or anywhere else, the U.S. Hmm. That, my friends, is the real declaration of independence. 
right. Wow. Babe, you stop me wow. before you try to bring up something else. I'm done. I can't. I can't. I can't. <laughs> he just adds another it's, layer. It's got my head hurt. Wow. No, Gold, I... goats, and guns. Tom Luingo. Check Thank you so out. much for coming on the show. Wow. All right. If you're single, get married. If you're married, have you some kids. And if you have kids, go baptize them. Until next time, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Go fight, laugh, and feast. This is Cross Politic. I'm David Reese, Chief Executive Officer of Armored Republic. We've been around for over a decade, serving you now, trying to provide tools of liberty to free men to be able to resist tyrants and criminals to the honor of Christ. And we've created a lot of content to help you to understand products, to help you to understand how bullets get stopped, and you've seen a lot of cool things. But we've decided it's time to share some of what we have internally. A lot of people ask us what it is that we're about, what it is we're trying to accomplish, and the name captures what we're trying to accomplish. Armored Republic is the idea that we want to see our republic armored. We want it to be hardened. We want it to be defensible. We want to guard, watch, keep, preserve, maintain the things that have been attained to. And so guarding that is a part of this armoring. We believe that if we can provide armor to you, if we can equip you, if we can give you knowledge, if we can help you to resist the nonsense that's dominant in the spirit of the age, and if you have all of that, we've equipped you with tools of liberty. Tools of Liberty includes intellectual ammunition. It includes the skill to be able to resist. It includes body armor itself, plate carriers, belts, IFACs to be able to heal up, stitch up, to be able to stop the bleed. Right? These are the things that we're trying to get to you. Now, as we think about that, a part of what's happened is there's, there's, there's sort of this, this, this sense in which there's a feeling of the tearing of the fabric of society. And so people don't know what it is that they should be doing. They don't know what to do, what to guard, where, where to gather. We want to encourage you to be able to gather free men who know what liberty is, who know that liberty is not a license to do wickedness, but it is the power to do righteousness in the face of, of tyrants and criminals. It is the ability to say no, and it's the ability to say yes to the right things. It's the ability to build. You need sword and trowel. You have to be able to put things together. So what we're trying to do now is trying to communicate more and more what it is to armor the Republic. And in addition to that, what is the Republic that we're guarding and trying to build? Republic's not just another word for democracy, which is the rule of the people. The rule of the people is, is, is two wolves and a sheep voting who's for dinner. If you, if you have a pure democracy, all you're gonna do is vote on who to kill, and you're gonna vote on whose wallet to pick. That's not what America is about. America is a republic if we can keep it. The Constitution attempts to capture the God-given rights that we receive as a heritage. It recognizes them. It does not give them. It does not grant them. But it rather establishes a clear public recognition of the rights that we have. What we are trying to do is to help to educate and strengthen and unite a movement to see that liberty does not perish from the land. This is Armored Republic, and in a republic, there is no king but Christ.